readings taken from Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3. It's a long reading, so I do advise you to follow it in the Bible. It's on page 949 if you would like to follow it. And my forgiveness, or ask for my forgiveness if I say any of these names wrong. The message to the church in Ephesus. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampshades. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patience endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You ex examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is your favour. You hate the evil deeds of the Nihilations, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. The message to the church at Sirena. Write this letter to the angel in Sirena. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who is dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you, they say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogues belong to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. The message to the church in Pergamum. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols 
and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who will follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches, to everyone who is victorious. I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. The message to the church in Thyantira. Write the letter to the angel in Thyantira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from their evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira, who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. The message to the church in Sardis. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has sevenfold Spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. 
I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to you, to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. The message to the church in Philadelphia. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look. I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you with the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming, hold on to what you have, so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God and I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. The message to the church at Laodicea. Write this letter to the angel in the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot or cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich, 
Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. May God bless that reading. I'm not going to um, apologise for the length of the reading because it's wonderful to hear the word of God and we shouldn't be able to get too much of it. Um, What I want us to think about today is what it is that the Spirit is saying to our church. So some of you from other churches, you can think about what you think the Spirit is saying to your church and those of us from St Andrews for here. And I'm not going to actually answer that question, but later on, well, uh, when I've finished prattling on at you, um, there'll be a little bit of time where we can actually reflect on that as a church. I'm going to focus on one particular aspect that comes through these letters, and that's the need for us to reflect and to repent. And I'm just going to give you a couple of alerts before I get into it. Getting this on the right angle. This passage is what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So there's two things from that. One is that it is for the churches. So they are addressed to particular churches, but it is for all of us, so us as well. And the church is us. It's us individually and it's made up of all of us together. And the other thing is that it is the Spirit talking to the churches, that any reflection or action or anything should always be in conjunction with the Spirit and it should be prayerful. Jesus says, I rebuke those who I love and discipline. And we often think that if things are going well, if we're doing the right stuff, that's exactly what God wants us be like but it's not like that we still need refining we're not perfect and hard times persecution working through doubts it strengthens us and it is the lot of Christians it is the lot of God's people and if you read the rest of Revelation you'll see that that's um, right through the book And the third thing to just think about before we start thinking about is that reflection and repentance aren't ends in themselves. They're part of our journey to be, make us more as Jesus would have us. And they should lead to change. They shouldn't just be navel-gazing and an apology. Right, so that's the alert. I just love the way these letters to the seven churches are full of all this imagery about the location of each one. And it really gets Jesus' message through convincingly. 
that each church is defined using icons of their city. So um, things like Ephesus, there's a reference to the Tree of Life in that letter. And there was a big tree shrine to someone else in Ephesus. Um, or Smyrna, there's a promise of a crown. Smyrna was sort of shaped a bit like a crown and there were references in a lot of the literature to it being like a crown. Um, the sword in Pergamum, it was the headquarters of a class of governor who had the right to wear a sword. Um, so there's all these sort of references. And our location is part and parcel of our identity and our life as a church. We're God's people in this place, for us in Geraldine. And there's a call here to reflect on our identity, who we are as a church in Geraldine. And number one in that will always be that we are God's people here. And we've just had communion, we've just celebrated being part of that body of Christ and part of it with Christ as well. In Revelation 1, Jesus is described as him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. So that's the description of us, that's who we are. We're freed by Jesus, loved by Jesus, and freed from our sins. We are a kingdom and priest to him. Now the missionary Floyd McClung states that nothing hinders us from receiving the love of God as much as the lies that build up in our minds about who God is or who we are. So if we remember that we are his church, his group of people here in Geraldine, although I should add that we are not the only one, we're already halfway there. And just got a couple of examples of some churches that have sort of taken that identity and thought about who God wants them to be in their community. So one is a, a church that I used to go to in England in a village called Peppard. And this church began in the days when um, you weren't allowed to be anything other than Anglican. So they hid, they, they built the church building behind the manse, great big manse, and, um, so that it wasn't too obvious. And um, behind the church there was a wood, I used to walk the minister's dog in the woods there, and there was this covered over spring that Cromwell had watered his um, troops at. And also in the parish there was another well which was quite famous historically called Maharaja's Well because it had something to do with the Maharaja. Um, and this church has renamed itself the Spring in honour of these distinctive landmarks and in honour of Jesus who is the Spring of Life for their community and they are aiming to live out that, that new name. Um, another place in London's East End was a, a really small elderly congregation and they opened up their buildings 
to various creative endeavours because their area was a hotspot for artists and really focused on building personal relationships and had midweek sort of accessible worship there. Um, and another one in, in South Wales, it was a, an ancient historic Christian centre, very important historically, um, that the town was in decline with great high unemployment and they'd build all these really scungy housing blocks. Um, and the church started up in one of these old housing blocks and um, did very practical community-based projects, trying to, to provide stability and self-worth in their community and a place of warmth and comfort in a town that had sort of lost all of that. So the question is, how are we in Geraldine actually influenced by our town, our location, its icons? A few things I thought of, are we're a morning tea spot on the tourist trail, um, retirement centre for Canterbury farmers, we've got tyre and glove headquarters, uh, we produce jams and fruit cordial and cheese, like the cheese, and gin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what spiritual hazards are there here and what have they been in the past? What is our place in this place? So that's something to reflect on um, as the days go by. Now these letters use very good teaching technique and they pick out all these positive attributes of the churches to start with some from the past and some from the present. And this is something we need to think about as well. What are the ways in which we are being, as a church, St Andrews, are being faithful to God? As a church, we've had our ups and downs through the years. We've had times when we've brought more glory to God and less glory to God. And one of the things from our past that we've faced, and some of you might have been through this, um, was facing false teaching and saying enough is enough. And this is something that is a strong theme in these letters, that we need to be careful about false teaching and wrong teaching. Now, we are really blessed here in St Andrews. We have really strong, good biblical teaching. But all of us are exposed to other influences and other ideas. And it's so easy for these ideas to just get in there and grow without us even noticing. So we're all, I mean, we're influenced by the media, and I do mean Christian media as well, social media just chatting amongst ourselves sometimes. And what we, much of what we're exposed to is really good and sound, but often the wrong stuff, stuff is subtle and is kind of alongside of it. Um, it often sounds right, a lot of it is biblically sound, but you get these few moths just sneaking in unnoticed to make their nasty little holes. Um, one of the examples I quite like watching on Shine TV the programme When Calls the Heart, which I believe is quite popular. Um, 
it's a feel-good, no swearing, good morals, no glorifying the bad, arguments get solved instead of constant nastiness, there's no negativity towards Christianity or God. But how much has God actually mentioned in that programme? How much do the characters engage in Christian mission or show that the greatest love of their life is Jesus? And a lot of what we see on, on the media or even I've found a little card here. I don't know if I can find it now because I've put it behind everything. Um, sitting up here. This is a little card from our birthday box that you get from the Christian bookshop. Don't know what I'd like what I'd do without a kid like you. There's nothing about God, there's nothing about Christ. It's actually a secular sentiment, but we take these things as Christian often. And we need to constantly reflect because things like when calls the heart, the sort of card, they can make us feel as if we're fine just living our lives as a good but fairly secular person. So we need to keep testing by the Bible. Is this teaching or attitude, whatever, is it bringing glory to God? And is it loving God and our fellow people? And it is loving God and not just loving our fellow people because that's one of the ways that we can slip away from God by focusing on the loving fellow people without focusing on God. Of course, we're very influenced by the secular worldview that's all around us, and we don't even notice it. It's so easy to get brainwashed. That's what brainwashing is. You don't know you've been brainwashed. Now, I've got this lovely, comfortable house, got loads of stuff, and I suspect most of you do as well. And we might not be extravagant compared to a lot of people, but we could do so much more with our money than buying the latest gadget, but we often don't even think about it because we've got this buy the latest gadget going in at us all the time. Um, when we had the Waitoto choir staying from Uganda a couple of years ago, I was so embarrassed just thinking about the comparison of my home with all this stuff compared to these people who had nothing. Um, this, a missionary, Floyd McClung, he was brought up in the American Deep South um, in the, the sort of church there and when he went to university he realised how, for the first time, how wrong racism is because he'd been brought up in this church that embraced it, I suppose you'd say. He says, it was only then that I realised I had inherited a Christian culture I had mistaken for the teachings and practicings of Jesus. And often we don't notice how ingrained our worldview is in the church even until we're challenged on it. He says, loving Jesus has to be lived out in the constant temptation to conform and compromise. We must, he says, study Jesus' teaching, look deeply at his example and ask hard questions of ourselves and others about what it means to follow Jesus. We do need to keep reflecting on how we're being influenced and make sure that we don't end up like this church. There was a man, he was down on his luck, 
and he went into a church. But spotting the man's dirty clothes, a deacon, worried about the church's image, went up to the man and asked him if he needed help. The man said, I was praying and the Lord told me to come to this church. The deacon suggested that the man go and pray some more and possibly he might get a different answer. The next Sunday, the man returned. The deacon asked, did you get a different answer? The man replied, yes, I did. I told the Lord that they don't want me in this church. And the Lord said, don't worry about it, son. I've been trying to get into that church for years and I haven't made it yet. <laughs> so another major issue that we need to reflect on that arises out of this is our level of passion or zeal, which we don't talk about zeal much these days, but hopefully you know what it is. I think, St Andrews, that we are erring on the complacency side of things. It's not entirely. We've had hundreds of kids having a great time at the light party a week or two ago. We've got Lots of teenagers hearing about God at Awaken Youth Ministries. We host the food bank and mainly music. We take services and rest homes. There's a prayer chain. We're going to have a float in the Christmas parade. And we're going to invite the community to our Christmas Eve services. We're doing plenty. When I was in my 20s, it's a while ago now, I had a lot of zeal. I was so excited to do stuff for God and street missions and outreach concerts and things. But I, I suffered some knockbacks and gradually my zeal sort of eroded. And I returned to New Zealand land to get some new zeal. But instead I grew up and I became boring. And life and work took over. And I think, yeah... I think our church is a bit like that. And it's partly my fault because I'm part of this church and so are you. And we need to wake up. God's so exciting. He's the creator of the universe. But we've got to take that step of faith and get out of our comfort zone. It's not about what we do. It's about what we are. It's our passion for Jesus. It's our walk with him that is at stake here. And the doing springs out of our faith, our faith in him and our love for him. I know your deeds, but, says the letters. There's a pastor from Sweden, who, Anders Rose, who says, the most important thing isn't what we're doing or how we're doing it even but why we are a Christian congregation right now, right here. What plans does God have for us and for our community? Um, in the same book as that, it's called Hear What the Spirit Says to the Churches. Um, Gerard Lynn, another pastor, says, what is decisive is the motivation of at least a group of members in the congregation. Their common wish and will to find out what God's agenda is in their place, in order to respond to it with imagination shaped by love, to discover it through prayer analysis and listening anew to the word of God. And this comes with risk. 
is a, a pastor from Ghana um, who sort of speaks to the European church, the, you know, sort of a bit like us. Um, he says, hearing what the Spirit says to us in this present age involves coming out of our protective shells of comfortable, self-enriching routines to allow God's Spirit to guide us to explore new avenues of responsible service for the needy outside our gates. The one who has promised to make all things new invites us to be his co-workers in fulfilling this eschatological hope as expressed in the Lord's Prayer, which we've said this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's exciting, yes. Safe and comfy, no. But walking in God's hands, I mean, that's got to be the tops. Floyd McClung says, that Jesus did not die on the cross to empower a hierarchical system of religious duties with tithing and church attendance at the top of the list. Jesus came to unleash an irresistible revolution on earth, not a predictable new religion. So, things to reflect on, our identity, the voices in our ears, and our passion but reflecting is not enough by itself. We reflect in order to repent, to change. We don't use that word repent much in everyday speech anymore. But it doesn't mean just being sorry or asking for forgiveness. It means literally from the um, Greek, actually turning around, turning our backs on the wrong behavior, the wrong attitudes, and turning towards Christ. We need to see where, as a church and as individuals, because the church is us, um, where we're not being quite what God wants. Where the Spirit is rebuking us, pointing out our deficiencies, and then we need to turn ourselves around and get our act together, always with his help. Floyd McClung describes it as a change of mind about the direction we're going, how we're living, what we have believed about God and the world. It is a total turnaround in our thinking and living. True repentance occurs when we begin to see sin from God's point of view, when we see the way sin has broken his heart. So we need to think about if there is something about us as a church which is stopping us being the church God wants us to be, something which is preventing us from shining Jesus' light fully in our community, something that's risking our lampstand being thrown away, and we need to repent of it and turn ourselves around and get back on track. None of that process is just us thinking and talking. It is us asking the Spirit to highlight our weaknesses and our strengths. It's praying to Jesus to wake us up, to tell us the hard stuff we don't actually want to hear. And it's asking him to help us get over it and turn to follow him more fully 